how can it be fair if you say that the husband has a leadership role in the marriage? How can how can you have leadership and submission and yet you claim they're still equal? I say, well, look at the Trinity. It happens there. Welcome to Life in Christ podcast. My name is Brent Nelson, one of the pastors here at The Landing. It's a church in Duluth, Minnesota, and we have a passion and a desire to think about and talk about life in Christ as we see it in God's Word and with God's help live it out in a way that pleases and honors Him both today and in the days until Christ returns. With me today is one of our elders, Howard Hayes. Howard, glad to have you back. It's great to be here. We get to talk about complementarianism again. This is actually round two. We already talked about complementarianism, the relationship between manhood and womanhood in the Bible, in one session. Now it's time for session number two. Earlier, we said that God designed men and women as equal in value, but different in roles. And you uh, were unfolding the content of Dr. Wayne Grudem's chapter on that so helpfully for us. You walked through all these indications that God put that difference in roles as a design into the created order before sin came. That's a powerful insight, isn't it? It is. It is. We're going to finish up with the last two of those uh, 10 indications today. Yeah. And then go on to a few other things. This isn't an easy thing. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. My wife, Kathy, and I need the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, With us uh, helping to record is uh, another one of our pastors, Andrew, and his wife, Heather. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to carry this out. How have you seen God allow this to take shape and reality in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Boy, for me, I guess what pops into my mind is how we make decisions as a couple. In my former life, I was an Air Force fighter pilot, and we were trained strongly to be able to gather information quick and make decisions quickly and then go execute on them. Yeah, We didn't have time to discuss the decisions. You know, I was the only one in the airplane. My wingmen were in other airplanes. So as the flight lead, you had to take in all this information, make decisions, and go execute. You know, and, and that was good for what it was meant for, right. but it's not good for marriage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when I tried those techniques with Kathy, that always uh, didn't always work out well because, first of all, I would hurt myself by not seeking her input and right. valuing her input. Right. I would just gather information, make a quick decision, announce the decision, Mm -hmm. and then hope it works out for the best. And we were missing out on this whole idea of complementarianism. It it wasn't complementary. I wasn't allowing Kathy to be my helper. So husbands take the lead by initiating but not ignoring the input of their wives, receiving, absorbing, praying through, soliciting, inviting, giving honor to the input of their wives, the wisdom of their wives. Right. The Bible talks a lot about the fool and the wise person. Yeah. <laughs> the wise husband seeks the input of his wife. Indeed, he does. Indeed, he does. Well, of course, in my marriage, I'd say the same thing. And I'd say there are, there are kinds of wisdom. There are intimacies with the Holy Spirit. There are heights of godliness that my wife has and has had that I will never have. Oh, ditto. And I love to know that when I'm leading, I'm leading with her full support. Team effort. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, uh, for that. That's so encouraging to start this second conversation out with. We talked more about ways in which the scriptures point to God's good design for complementarianism, or that big word really means just the beautiful design 
of God creating men and women as equal in value, equal in dignity, but different in roles. How does that work itself out when it comes to God's design for the mystery revealed? Paul talks about the mystery of Christ and the church. Christ as our heavenly husband, the church as his heavenly bride. We're getting into some beautiful gospel truth there. Yeah, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 really lays it out for us. And it's kind of an interesting section of scripture where in your mind you think you know where it's going and Mm -hmm. it doesn't go there. Right, right. So here's what it says. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Hmm. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Hmm. Paul is quoting Genesis 2, 24 in the first part. And you're following along, and then when Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, you know, that that was unexpected the first first time I I read that. Right, yeah. So he's saying, in essence, that somehow God designed marriage to represent the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Yes. It's more than just a good social structure. It's more than just a good way for two people to get along in a household, pay the bills, who gets to work, who who helps make the decisions, how do things get going. The world or the flesh or even the enemy might say, just let whoever wants to do that. It, the roles are interchangeable. But Paul is actually saying the way men and women relate to each other, especially in marriage and specifically in marriage, is a reflection of Christ coming into the world, initiating uh, leadership by dying on the cross. Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ initiates gospel love and the church responds thankfully and joyfully and passionately following Christ as his bride collectively. All through time in all the nations and tribes and tongues and peoples collectively are the bride of Christ. Paul says the way men and women relate to each other, and I think he's talking here even about unbelieving men and women in marriages. He's talking about a very natural thing that's true across the face of the earth. They relate to one another, not always perfectly, in fact, far from perfectly, but as a display, a parable, a pointer to the way Christ and the church relate. Yeah. And Grudem actually talks about that word mystery and why does he call it a mystery? And, and he simply says that it's something that was less understood in the Old Testament that's and right. now it's being more clearly revealed yeah. in the New Testament. And he's essentially saying that in a way, Adam represents Christ and Eve represents the church. In marriage, the corollary would be that the husband is the Christ figure mm-hmm. and the wife is representing the church. And our relationship in marriage reflects that relationship in a beautiful way. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So there's your New Testament expounding of this idea. Christ has a leadership role that the church doesn't have. Similarly, husbands have a leadership role that the wife doesn't have. These roles were established from the beginning, before the fall. They aren't culturally variable, and they aren't reversible. Well said. So it's important, you mentioned a moment ago that we're talking and made allusion to Dr. Wayne Grudem. It's important that we say that the elders, uh, you among them, who have taught these things to the adult Sunday school here at the landing, are drawing this material 
And we happily give credit to Dr. Wayne Grudem in his recent book, Christian Ethics. Right. That's the, the source of this material, even as he's drawn it from Scripture itself. Right. He goes on beyond the mystery revealed in marriage to talk about a pattern in the Trinity. And right. that's drawing out some passages that Paul writes as well. So Grudem says that the equality differences and unity between men and women reflect the same situation in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. He goes to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. He's making a direct comparison between the idea that there can be equality and differences in marriage because that's reflective of equality and differences in the Trinity. It's beautiful. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal in deity. Mm -hmm. One is not less than the other, but they definitely have different roles. Right? How can it be fair if you say that the husband has a leadership role in the marriage? How How can you have leadership and submission and yet you claim they're still equal, I say, well, look at the Trinity. Right. It happens there. That's right. In Christ's mediatorial role, he submitted to the Father sending the Son. And the Spirit submitted to the Father and the Son sending the Spirit. Right. And interestingly, those roles are never reversed. Right. The Son never sends the Father. That's right. That's right. And he never tries to send the Father. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) He gladly submits. That's right. Well, so then when we start talking about the commands in Scripture, say in Ephesians 5, that long section in 22 through 28 in Ephesians 5, it gives instruction to husbands and wives what to do. Uh, Very concrete, specific commands that by the Spirit, we who are married or anticipate being married are to do these things, not begrudgingly, not not with hard hearts, but with joy. What are the commands that, that Ephesians 5 gives to husbands and wives? So this comes from the later part of the chapter, starting at verse 22, and it goes through verse 28. So it's a lengthy passage, but I think it's worth uh, spending some time on. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself." What do you draw out from that? What are some things that, that stick out at you as you read through that paragraph, Howard? Well, my heart naturally goes to the husband side of this. It talks about a sacrificial form of leadership, right. servant, sacrificial leadership. And you can get the sense of there's a protector role there also Absolutely. that we haven't touched on yet. Mm-hmm. But Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we should be willing to literally to die to protect our wives and our families. Well, and that and that invites deeper reflection, doesn't it? Because we're not only talking about a husband who in the middle of the night hears a, a rock thrown through the picture window downstairs. He doesn't pull the cover over his head and say, sweetheart, go find out what's going on downstairs. Hopefully not. <laughs> he gets up 
right? And right. he grabs the baseball bat and he says, grab the phone and stay right here yeah. or, or, or go grab the kids. Um, and I'm going to head downstairs and click on some lights and find out what's going on. Right. That's part of that protection. But let's take it a level deeper. There's something about godly husbands who say to themselves, I need to also protect my wife from me. Hmm. I need to make sure I'm not inadvertently wounding, harming, hurting, misleading her in any way. God, would you search me and try me? See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of life everlasting, says the psalmist. That's a godly husband saying, Lord, please help me protect my precious wife from me. I don't want to be the one who trips her in her journey toward Christ. I don't want to be the one who leads her astray or neglects something important that you want me to be leading her in or teaching her, encouraging her in. So there's this need to protect from the dangers out there, and then there's a need to protect from the dangers within. Yeah, if, if we're living our lives right as a husband in accordance with the scriptures, we should be treating our wives in such a way that her full beauty is allowed to flourish. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love the way you say that. That's right in the, in the verse, isn't it? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that the purpose of Christ, he might present the church to himself in splendor, right, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. So Christ is leading the church to beautify the church that on the day of their wedding celebration, as Revelation 19 makes plain, he will present the church in all his costly beauty to himself. Right. right. And, and so godly husbands are going, I'm going to lead you, wife, in such a way that every anniversary you go, grow more and more beautiful spiritually. Right. She benefits and he benefits too. It's a beautiful upward spiral. You and I are not able to speak with authority to answer this question, but can you imagine a godly woman recoiling at that? No, no. I think, I think the way God made us as men and women, they would cherish that. Yeah. They want to be loved and led by someone who is a Christ-like figure yeah. in as much as our fallen natures allow us to do that. Yeah. One important caveat, one important clarification that I've found important in conversations with many, many couples on this very verse is to say, when a man and a woman marry, the man does not have a closer intimate connection with the Spirit of Christ than the woman does. Right. When a woman marries, she does not gain another mediary between her and God. She still has direct connection to God as closely as she ever has. Right. You can see that in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, which means, wives, you know how you're submitting to the Lord. You have a personal, close relationship with the Lord, and you know how to submit to Him. You hear His voice. You know and recognize when He's leading you. When your husband leads you in the same way, submit to that. Submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. When your husband says something out of step with the Bible and with the Spirit of God plainly, through tears turn to him and say, I am sorry, but I cannot follow you in a way the Lord does not permit. That's what as to the Lord means at the end of verse 22. It also says, submit to your own husbands. We're not teaching that women by nature are submitted to all husbands. No, no, we're not just to their husbands. That's why it says your own husbands. And if you draw a line 
I'm looking at my page here, and Ephesians 22 is laid out in front of me. I'm drawing a line from the word own in verse 22, submit to your own husbands, all the way down to verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So as the husband says, I've got a body, and when I wake up in the morning, it needs warmth, it needs clothing, it needs food and freedom from pain. Well, I'm going to say the same thing about my wife. If she's my wife, if I'm married to her and I'm her protector and provider and caregiver, I'm going to make sure she's got the same warmth, freedom from pain, food, protection that I've got. I'm treating her as my own body. Right. It's a picture of that one flesh relationship. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What else do you see in this rich, rich passage? Well, I think it's just, you know, it's just a a picture of how marriage was meant to be. Mm -hmm. When you have husbands acting in the role that they're designed to fulfill, I think of them as almost being like the elders of their family. Mm -hmm. And as elders here in the church, we've been studying this, you know, how to be a good elder. Sure. We've gone through a lot of stuff, you know, and and I boil it down to you have to know the sheep, lead the sheep, feed the sheep, and protect the sheep. Right. So as your husband is fulfilling his elder role in the family— He needs to lead, feed, and protect his wife and his children just the way the elders are called to do it for the church. That's exactly right. And there are several passages, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, that say your ability to do that in your home is what helps prepare you for a wider ministry outside of the home. Right. That may be what qualifies you to be an elder in the church. That's right. That's right. Very good. Well, one of the other observations I make from Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, is this This wonderful passage that you put a focus on, husbands love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are not called to die by paying for the sins of their wives. That would be an insult to Christ. Right. He died on the cross for husbands and wives' sins, and no more sacrifice need be made nor dare be made to add to that. But when Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, there is a sense in which he says, I need to die to myself a thousand times a day for the well-being of my wife. Right. I need to offer my life as a living sacrifice to crucify my flesh, Romans 8, as a way of saying, I'm no longer a single man just thinking about caring for myself. Now I'm joined in one flesh to my wife. And so my sacrificing of my personal, private, individual desires and wants is a good thing for me to do as a godly husband. Right. And it's not a natural thing. If, yeah. if, if you're like me at all, at all, as a man, I, I can be incredibly selfish and self-focused. And this marriage that we're working our way through, it, it, it teaches us to do things that the Bible commands, like think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. And and there's that initiator role that yeah. the husband needs to embrace That's and it. take on. That's it. But not like, I'm saying we're going to do this. That, that, that simple way of saying, let's do this, mm-hmm. that indicates clearly to the wife, the male leadership, but it's not domineering. Right. Let's do it as a team, as a family. So beautiful. Well, we've been talking about big things, and there's lots more reflection. I'm sure people listening have lots of questions, and maybe there's people who who are inclined to think of things very differently than we've talked about them, or maybe they've grown up or have been uh, reading voices that would uh, suggest an entirely different interpretation. If someone wanted to read more, if someone wanted to do a little bit more study, we're obviously making reference to Wayne Grudem's Christian Ethics book. So you'd recommend people get that for themselves? Oh, certainly. 
It repays careful reading and extended study, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a great big book to have in your library. And when things come up, you can go review them. You don't have to read it cover to cover. Right, right. But you would benefit by doing that. What other resources have you found helpful or, or might you recommend to those listening right now who want to dig deeper into this? Well, his his systematic theology book covers uh, this topic also in a slightly different way. So, mm-hmm. so that would be good. One of the statements, one of the big sweeping statements that our church happily endorses is called the Danvers Statement. Sure. Named after Danvers, Massachusetts. Yep. Yeah. From the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It yes. was put out in the late 80s. Uh, we have that posted on our website. Yes. That is a good encapsulation of how we feel about biblical roles of men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, the elders just finished going through a book right. uh, called Men and Women in the Church, written by Kevin DeYoung, and that kind of addressed the other side of complementarianism right. and how it plays itself out in the church. Right. So we haven't had time to talk about that today, but that's an important topic also, and you could benefit from that book there. And we anticipate that very conversation in the weeks to come. It's an important conversation. As you say, the elders have just been reviewing that material, and those questions are answered in God's Word, and there's lots of joy to be celebrated. There's lots of blessing and peace and health to be uh, realized in any healthy church that has a good biblical complementarian understanding of manhood and womanhood and how to celebrate the Equal dignity, yet distinct roles God gives to them in the local church, just like in the home. Yeah, I think that would be an excellent podcast down the road when we can put that together. Sounds good. This has been Rich. Thank you so much, Howard. Thank you for the labor. Thank you for digging into Grudem at such a rigorous level. Thank you for processing it in such a way that you can offer it to the body in such understandable and clear and encouraging format. I'm very grateful. I know I speak for the body here at The Landing. We're very grateful for elders who are not afraid to draw these careful lines and to make these bold, clear statements that then result in such clarity. Sometimes the way love takes its expression is clarity. And uh, you've been so clear. The other elders have been so clear. So many thanks to God for you and for Dr. Grudem and for our great God and Savior who's, who's written these things in His Word. Maybe, Howard, would you close our time with a word of prayer? Sure. God, we praise your name because you designed us in a way that is beautiful. You designed us as men and women, not as one uh, unisex type of person, but we're different. And you, you made us that way from the beginning of all creation. You can see that the culture is so strongly against some of the things that we've talked about today. And yet we simply want to go to your word and not worry if the culture doesn't agree. We don't apologize for this because it's your word. And we believe that your word is perfect and unchanging. And it doesn't need to adapt to culture. Culture should adapt to your word, Father. So help us to have marriages in the landing that reflects the beauty of the relationship between Christ and his church. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, if you're listening right now and you want more information, you've heard of the resources you can uh, access yourself, you can reach out to us at The Landing through text, phone call, email, uh, jump on our website. We'd be happy to interact with you to try to answer any questions you have, even if you come from a different perspective. That's most welcome. Uh, We believe the Bible can be read clearly and understood plainly and uh, be rejoiced in 
passionately. So reach out to us. If you have a church home that you're already a part of, we bless you to dive right into your church home. Invest yourself, body, mind, and soul into the cause of Christ in your location. Thanks for listening in. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.